Annyeong, welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake in Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren. With me today, I have two guests. First of all, from the Explain Yourself Podcast, I have Caleb Green returning. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Darren. How are you? I'm doing good. And from the Revisionist Podcast, uh, I have Brian Flynn. Hello, Brian. Hello, Darren. Hello, Caleb. Hi, Brian. Sorry, I, I neglected to say hi to you. I was ready to be introduced. <laughs> also returning... Um, you, last time you were on, you were on with your, um, your co-host, Zach. Yes, indeed. So this is kind of like cheating on him, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> a, um, in a very loose sense of the word. <laughs> I yeah. hope, I, who knows what'll happen by the end of the show. Whatever you need to, whatever you need to say about Zach, just go ahead and say it. You're in a safe space. You can, Zach whatever. is a wonderful and very funny person. And of course he, he co-hosts another podcast with a different person anyway, doesn't he? So what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love I love the fact that you've been a guest on that, and this would be the way that we break it. <laughs> I have amnesia. <laughs> so today's episode is Ready, Aim, Marry Me. Um, it was broadcast on the 13th of February 2005. It was written by Mitch Hurwitz and Jim Valelli. Obviously, I've spoken about both of those a number of times. And of course, it was directed by Paul Feig, um, director for many, many things. Uh, most recently, uh, Ghostbusters. Um, but before that, he was um, he was a director on um, Freaks and Geeks, um, most famously. Um, and so I'm going to read the summary of the episode, which goes as follows. Desperate to find money, at George Senior's request, Michael contacts Uncle Jack, a man who the family has had a past business relations with. Meanwhile, the family members enjoy their getaway weekends at a local spa resort, and Michael suggested to Tobias that he buy a tape recorder to listen to some of his questionable phrasing. <laughs> I, I, the thing, I feel like this episode is basically just one very long storyline with very few detours. Yeah. It's quite well known for not being much of a fan favorite, and as much is said so on the uh, commentary, uh, which features the whole cast and Mitch Hurwitz, and um, because they 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 point this out just before Uncle Jack appears, that essentially the show becomes a different type of show after Martin Shaw appears um, playing uh, Jack Dorso. Um, and I, I I mean to me, I never really thought of this until I actually listened to the commentary as being like a particularly difficult episode or a, a particularly hated episode. Maybe that's just because I, I kind of just love all of Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. So it never occurred to me that there was an episode that people didn't like as much as like other episodes. Um, so, I mean, what are your guys' uh, thoughts on kind of uh, that particular, you know, um, thought? Because it is one that is, you know, quite prevalent. Uh, if you kind of look into this episode, there is a... You know, there is a substantial number of people out there who really don't like this episode. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, this is the first episode of Arrested Development I ever saw. Oh, wow. Yeah. In the uh, in the basement of the aforementioned Zach Powers, actually. I've always had a... I've always actually liked it. Uh, like, particularly liked it. So, I, I can understand why people don't, because it is very... It has a very off-kilter tone for the rest of the show. But it's always held a very sentimental place for me. And also it has some of my favorite individual jokes in the show, which we will get to. Um, and I will point those out very, th- very much. Yeah, for me, I, I, last time I was on it, I mentioned that like I just like 
marathoned the second season set like in one day um and mm. stayed up until like 4 30 in the morning with my friends watching the entire <laughs> second season um and when we did that this one really stuck out as like a memorable one that like we remembered later and we were like quoting uh probably because it is so different um than a lot of the other episodes in the second season um i have a lot of I still really like it, um, but on this rewatch, I have a lot of questions and suspicions about the uh, <laughs> the writing of this episode, how it was formulated, because it very much feels like somebody had an idea for this Jack LaLanne esque character, <laughs> and uh, that Martin Short plays, and they're just like it was just like sitting around. And they're like, finally, I ha- I work on a show or I have a show that has such a heightened sense of reality that I can fit something like this into it, and it would supposedly make like perfect sense to be there. Just taking a quick look on IMDb, um, the the episode before this has got an eight point three, the episode after this has got an eight point five, and this has also got an eight point five. So, I mean, I guess maybe it's just TV critics kind of. Um, you know, are not fans of it, or or maybe it's just in, in intervening years, it's kind of just become one of those episodes. Uh, it's worth noting that, of course, the stuff with Lucille two and Job, which is kind of near the beginning of the episode, um, carries over from the previous episode, which was um, where he was, you know, talking about club source uh, and various other things. So, um, and obviously, Sitwell carries over from the previous episode. So. I mean, there is a kind of feeling that it's a, it's a very standalone episode because of kind of like the the back fourteen minutes, which which are kind of exclusively about Uncle Jack and the spa. Um, but there are like a lot of storylines that are going on in this season carried over through this episode. Um, though unusually, there is like a, a three minute detour into the life of Uncle Jack, um, <laughs> and and obviously every single time Uncle Jack's kind of on the screen, the narrator says. You know, and don't forget, he's not their real uncle. And um, by the way, that felt like a weird standards and practices thing to me, where, like, originally it was way creepier, and then they went out of their way to keep mentioning, like, hey, this guy is in no way related to them, so... <laughs> Which, I love how artless that is, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah! I, th- I think that's obviously a kind of meta-commentary on the whole um, cousin's relationship between mm. George Michael and Maybe, which, oddly, in this episode, does not get an airing. Like, mm. there is, there's nothing really kind of about that storyline that's in this episode. Although, there is a kind of theory that Red McGibbon um, might be... George Senior's father, hmm. um, and, and that is that is how the family know him, because otherwise, you know, he has he has no real friends, and his only friend was Red McGibbon, um, who you know was put in prison for the crime of treason, which of course echoes uh, George Senior's own uh, kind of dilemma and the fact that he is also you know. They're trying to get him put on trial for treason as well. I think Hurwitz, like, whether or not he's joking or not, I think they make a reference to trying to take pictures of someone for Red McGibbon that looked vaguely like Steve Martin so that they could mm-hmm. later... It is worth noting, this episode has a commentary. They did... He does mention that they, they wanted to do like they did with um, Tony Wonder, where 
you know, they used a picture of Ben Stiller before they knew they could get Ben Stiller. <laughs> and then after after putting the picture in, then Ben Stiller appeared as Tony Wonder later on. And obviously this is something that the show excels at, which is planting the seeds of something and then paying them off sometimes years later. Um, you know, but in this in this particular case, um, yeah, they, they say they wanted to have Steve Martin as Red McGibbon so that maybe if they ever went back to the whole Ray McGibbon, Uncle Jack stuff, they could have um, Steve Martin in the show. And, uh, and considering what Steve Martin was doing in his career at the time, they could have gotten him. He didn't seem to be saying <laughs> no a whole lot in the early 2000s, thinking of... Yeah, I, and, and of course he did appear on 30 Rock um, a couple of years after this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You know, not out of the realms of possibility to get Steve Martin on your show. Uh, in some ways, I'm disappointed they didn't get him for season four. But uh, you know, I, I I think it's just it's it's an interesting it's interesting kind of how quickly the episode turns into a very strange episode, mm-hmm. um, and that is just that's even Mitch Hurwitz's own commentary on the thing is the episode is a little odder than the rest of the show. Um, but speaking of it, let's get into this because, like I said, I think there's only really one big plot, which is you know leading up to the introduction of uncle jack and then obviously once we have uncle jack it's kind of all about martin short playing this one-off character oh, such such an odd turn um but i like that we start with um you know lucille already <laughs> already drinking at uh i don't know early in the morning i can't tell i can't tell when this happens um but i i like as well that we get a shout out to the fact that you know uh, the company is a regular feature on Bill O'Reilly's most ridiculous item of the day, <laughs> uh, which is kind of such a weird. And of course, we get the um, a little joke, which will be echoed later in the episode with Buster, which is screaming profanities um, when Lucille <laughs> talks about how Lucille Ostero has um, has basically bought control in the company, and um, she says, "I think she's going for a power grab." That bitch. And as she says that bit, she just screams it. And Michael has to say, you're not at home, Mum. She doesn't live next door to you when you're here. <laughs> which, which I, and then also we get we get an insight into the relationship with um, Lucille 2 and Job. Um, where, you know, Job is, is being very needy. Um, I, I like as well how Lucille says, I'll tell you what she wants to grab. Your brother Job. And the narrator says, In fact, Lucille too was already with Job. Which kind of brings everybody up to speed quite neatly. Mm-hmm. We get the the kind of seeds almost of like a uh, like a mystery built up here. Where uh, Lucille says she's going to spin class. And of course, Job goes, I thought you had vertigo. Uh, after she's left. In the most plaintive you know, kind of... voice possible. <laughs> and yeah. this is the first time in my life that I ever understood that joke. Because this is the first point in my life where I watched this episode and knew what spin class was. So I, up until now, have been right where Job was the whole time. Every time I hear that joke where I'm like, yeah, that makes no sense. And now I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Okay, never mind. I think the thing is, like, spin class in the, like, in, like, 2005, it wasn't, like, a huge thing. But now, like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really big. It's so... It's weird how that joke has kind of become a little bit more understandable just by the fact that that phenomena has become mm-hmm. uh, more popular. Because living, um, living in Indiana, or as we like to call it, real America, um, 
That's a joke, obviously. Um, but yeah, I had no idea. And I was like, yeah, that sounds really weird because spin is not what I did not think of. Yeah. So once again, like (laughs) just like, like last episode, like now there are, there are jokes from like, Oh, I get why that makes sense now, even though I've seen these like 10 to 20 times. So that's, what's great about it. And of course, Lucille says that, um, Lucille two is doing all this under the guise of caring about our family. And as she does caring, she does air quotes, but she does them with the martini glass in her hand. And so of course she starts spilling alcohol all over the place. Um, (laughs) And Michael says, you've got to stop quoting when you drink. I just I just love I just love it because, of course, we get a call back to something which is all the way back to the pilot. Something which I've said a number of times where Lucille says she'd love to get at me any way she could. That's why she's been flirting with Job. She's trying to prove that she's closer to my children than I am. But the joke's on her because she doesn't know how little I care for Job. Um, (laughs) And of course, in the pilot, we saw a quick cut of Lucille just saying, I don't care for Job. And, of course, Michael responds by saying, I think that makes the joke on Job. Which, again, like, I just love the kind of indifference to Job that Lucille <laughs> has. I don't know, I, I, I guess it, it, it's a lovely way to explain why Job and Michael are kind of so um, always trying to get um, George Sr.'s approval. Mm-hmm. It's, be- it's just because Lucille kind of, she gives Job nothing and she's constantly kind of like riding... Um, Michael and, and and I just I just kind of I just I just love uh, Jessica Walter so much in this kind of opening scene. It makes you <laughs> the kind of it, anger anger that she's got. At, at kind of I, I don't know. It's it's really weird. If she doesn't care about Joe, why she, why does she care so much? It makes you wonder how awful the like years before Michael was born were <laughs> with Joe because <laughs> he's the oldest. And so was it just like. There's just this child that nobody cares. I mean, probably, right? There's a child that mm-hmm. the housekeepers raised, probably. Nobody cared about him at all. Like, I don't know. And it also, like, begs the question of, like, she probably just, like, wasn't happy with her children until she finally had one that she could control. And then she was like, okay, Buster's here. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it is odd that they kept... It is odd that they've had four children, like, given the indifference that... Um... <laughs> You know that Lucille shows to being a mother. I mean, um, it's kind of odd. Uh, and of course, we get a little bit of a callback to um, the previous episode when Michael talks about Sally Sitwell and the Bachelorette au- auction. Uh, of course, um, at the end of that auction, um, Sally kind of broke up with Michael because he um, he gave her the, um, the he gave the Corvette to her dad. Uh, who obviously is, as George Senior says, a hairless freak, um, <laughs> and so which which actually plays into the next joke when we see we see kind of Sally in um, in a boardroom through some glass, and Michael goes to visit her, and you know the, the secretary is saying she's not here, and Michael can see her sitting in the boardroom, and then of course he leaves, and we cut inside. And we get Ed Begley Jr. wearing this long wig. And he goes, you kidding? This makes me look like my daughter. <laughs> and I, I just I just love that line because, cause, you know, Michael, you know, he, his, his anger at the fact that this secretary is lying to him, obviously is completely misplaced because, you know, she isn't there. Um, and, of course, Stan drops a, a clue when he says that he's got to get to spin class. Um, mm-hmm. And that is something that will become important as the episode goes on. 
Um, and I, I love that Michael has decided that George Michael should be the one who shares the spell package with him. Um, <laughs> and it's such of a, it's, it's it's such a weird gesture, but I, I just I just kind of like I just kind of like how it plays because you know he's like we've got a basket full of father fun son here, and George Michael just goes, "What's Karma Sutra oil?" <laughs> he goes, "Maybe this is not for us." And I love how quickly Michael kind of turns on the idea. And of course, uh, this is where we find out that Tobias, who of course also uh, got one of the the day the kind of the the day spa things, um, when he bid on Lindsay, um, he has already used the package, uh, mistakenly <laughs> thinking that he could go and check out what the package entailed without actually using the package. I don't quite understand his logic in this situation. Um, and it does make for the, the odd phrase where Tobias says... Uh, but I'm afraid I prematurely shot my wad on what was supposed to be a dry run, if you will. So now I'm afraid I have something of a mess on my hands. <laughs> this is what Michael says. And I just love how quietly kind of Jason Bateman says it. He goes, there are so many, <laughs> there are just so many poorly chosen words in that sentence. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's really weird because, you know, obviously Tobias goes to the trouble of... Uh, of checking out this package so that it'd be right for Lindsay um, by basically just using it up. Um, and then, of course, this gives Michael the opportunity to, um, you know, uh, kind of give away his package uh, to Tobias, who, of course, immediately interprets it as Michael suggesting that they go to the day spa together. Um, and <laughs> I love how... Tobias is kind of like doing his little scene where he's thinking about how jealous it will make Lindsay. And he says uh, he's sharing a romantic horseback ride with Michael Bluth and they're dipping each other in. And then he stops and goes, oh, you didn't get any body chocolate. Um, <laughs> which, of course, conjures up a, a kind of disturbing. And, and I, I love that Michael says, I hate to see you struggle like this, <laughs> which is kind of. <laughs> and I should say this episode is very heavy on a joke that until now has only been maybe one or two lines in any episode uh, and the like the entire of this episode it has so many occasions where this happens where you know there is this whole thing of you know the prematurely shot my wad and you know the suggestion of Michael going on the getaway um, and of course, then Tobias says that, the, you know, when Michael offers to ask Lindsay out, he says he's quite the Cupid and he can uh, sing one of his arrows into his buttocks at any time. <laughs> and it's just like a whole, ev ev almost every single line in this episode from Tobias uh, hints at his sexuality uh, to the point where Michael insists that he get himself a tape recorder to listen to everything he's saying. <laughs> Um, and that kind of, even the kind of final line of the episode is from Tobias, and it is a, a double entendre. Um, so I don't know what you guys think of this storyline. Basically, we, you know, this episode is halfway through season two, so we are we are closer to the end of this show than we are the beginning. And this is kind of the most explicit that Tobias's sexuality has been made mm. um, since since the pilot and the second episode where Lindsay actually said the phrase. Everyone thinks Tobias is gay, and you know that that was kind of the only time they really stated it outright. Uh, I don't know your guys' thoughts on on the kind of the tack that they take with Tobias in this particular episode. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think that in retrospect, it's something that you always think of as like the defining one of the defining things about the character. And 
Yeah. I do think it was like like you said, I think it was always kind of like in the background. Like the last time I was on was for an episode that was literally a season ago. And there, I, one of the most memorable things in it was when uh, Jesse, the the public relations thing, when she was like, um, mm-hmm. "There are so few like successful single straight men in town or whatever." And Tobias <laughs> is like, "Well, that leaves me out." And then he's like, "You did say like something else." And then like she's like, everybody's just like kind of like moves on from it. But yeah, yeah, I think that it is a, it's an interesting. Like, just kind of, like, going all in on it. I also do think that it kind of speaks to, and Darren, you would know better than anyone, I think that the show just kind of, like, gets more and more loud in terms of, like, it's, I'm not, I don't want to say, like, it make, makes things obvious, but it's certainly, like, more energetic and as it goes on it just gets like more and more energetic and more and more out there um and just like a million ideas getting thrown at the wall a minute to where i think that it just makes sense that something that would be like kind of a subtle dig becomes just this like aggressive (laughs) string of (laughs) jokes and dialogue at this point i think i think the 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 loss of the four episodes in this season and the the loss of the back nine in the next season means that I feel like Mitch Hurwitz did kind of make stuff a bit kind of more explicit and kind of mm-hmm. easier to understand. It almost as a way to kind of kind of stay on the air, basically, to kind of like stop. I mean, the show remains as clever as it was in the pilot to the end. But obviously, one of the things about the show is that it is so layered and there are so many jokes that are being piled up on top of each other that I think as the show kind of got towards the end, they did kind of try and not slow down, but just make those jokes a bit more obvious. Mm-hmm. And this episode is, a, you know, February is sweeps month. So, um, you know, that's why we get Martin short making, you know, a guest appearance. Um, and so obviously it feels like this is something almost to kind of explain to the, um, to like the new viewers because obviously you know like um, shows tend to get more viewers in in November and February so this feels like a way to kind of say to the newer viewers look this is the joke uh, he's gay basically but he doesn't realize it and they really they really went to town on as many different jokes as they possibly could uh, in one single episode and um, I mean it's sort of to me it's a little similar to the Uncle Jack character which is this very broad thing uh-huh. and. I could see that being part of the reason that a lot of fans of the show don't necessarily care for this episode. Um, I mean, to me, I always read the Tobias jokes as more about his obliviousness than about his sexual orientation. Um, (laughs) Just because that's that's funnier to me than just making a joke about someone who is gay. Mm -hmm. Um, So I... And man, what I just think about his, the jokes about his obliviousness, those are just like so good to me. I love them so much. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if it feels a lot of these lines, like the fact that he says butterscotch want to lick. Yes. Like that's like, that doesn't, that doesn't, I mean, not that the, you know, the show always has a heightened reality, but sometimes some of the lines that Tobias is saying, and this episode is kind of like the worst offender. They just feel like him deliberately making kind of double entendres with no real need. <laughs> but I think and they do this they do this odd thing with the tape recorder where at the end, I mean, you know, just 
could skip ahead a little bit. When he plays back some of the stuff, he's playing back stuff from episodes that he, he didn't have the tape recorded for. <laughs> They're just lines from the show. I didn't think about and it's, that. <laughs> and it's really, it's really weird because, like, the line about, you know, like, even if it means taking a chubby, that's that's just an episode, that's just a line from, like, the previous episode that there was no tape recorder around. So it's odd that he's playing this back. It's almost like the, the, the writers are saying... You know, this is this is his entire character, yeah. and they kind of they just playing with that. I mean, later in this season, you know, that you get a lot more of the kind of the, you get the Mrs. Featherbottom stuff, which feels quite broad, but they they play it particularly the stuff with him and maybe when he's Mrs. Featherbottom, they play it a bit more kind of like sentimental, and it's it's not about his him dressing up. That's not the joke. The mm-hmm. joke is. You know, he wants to be caught and he wants to kind of... He wants to play out the whole Mrs. Doubtfire story and he wants to keep singing songs. And, like, it's kind of appealing to the actor storyline, which I feel is the other kind of, like, defining trait of Tobias is he wants to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, this this episode doesn't feel like there's anything about him wanting to be an actor. Like, you know, Jack Dorso is, a, is you know, a former failed movie star. You would have thought they would have been able to do something with that and Tobias, but... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've seen this episode like 20, 30 times at this point. (laughs) This is jumping ahead a little bit, but I feel like at the end, Tobias also gets a little more emotional payoff than he usually does in an episode. Because he's definitely more centric in this episode than many others. And so when he actually gets the chance to (laughs) fight for Lindsay at the spa day... um, (laughs) Yeah. It... (laughs) he gets a little bit of a reward for it. So I feel like he's a lot of his obliviousness and all that is put out there, but I feel like they may, they make some sort of effort to justify it a little bit. Well, and I, I also like Brian's focus on like the obliviousness of the character, which is particularly uh, hilarious and enlightening when like you, take the time to remember that before we met the character that he was supposed to uncover people's feelings for a living, (laughs) like help them uncover their own kind of like issues. And that he is like so oblivious to himself in particular, but pretty much everything. Um, I mean, there is a, there is a joke in, there is a joke in season three that is, I guess quite famous where we see his business card yes. and we, we see his title. <laughs> and that is that that to me feels like a cleverer version of like the jokes that are in this episode. Like him not realizing how it would look on the card. I think that's that's him being oblivious. To me, a lot of the kind of double entendres in this episode uh, just feel kind of too obvious for the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're still yeah. funny. I still like them. Um, but anyway. As Michael asks Lindsay, you know, to go along with Tobias, uh, we get the debut of Lindsay's idea of what she thinks a chicken sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) As she becomes the second member of the Bluth family to do the chicken dance. And her her version is going... um, Chicha! Chicha! What is that? Is that a chicken? What's this? I think it's... I think you have a backwards. I think it's chicha is what it is. It's is it chicha? chicha? No, it's uh, it's chachi. Chicha is um. Oh, that is that is one in the show, but I can't remember whose it is. <laughs> I know, I know that Lucille's is kukukura. That one, okay. that's Lucille's version of it. Um, but yeah, so this is the second person to start doing a weird chicken dance. 
And I like that Michael is like, is that a chicken? And I love how Job hears this and kind of pops into the scene. And he's like, what's this? <laughs> and then, of course, this is where, you know, Job says, this is priceless. And then he starts joining in with his chicken impression. Um, and I love how Michael goes, come on, these aren't even birds, <laughs> which, which I just love. It's just kind of, I don't know. And then this is a rare scene where it's just the three siblings mm-hmm. together here. I mean, you know, obviously there's always a lot of group scenes between everybody. Um, and obviously there will be one later on with when when, when we do meet un- Uncle Jack. Um, but here, I just think it's funny where we have um, Lucille, uh, not Lucille, Lindsay constantly taking shots at both her brothers while they're standing there. Mm. And she's like calling them a loser and all this kind of stuff. And I, it's just, it's funny kind of commentary from her basically, um, you know, talking, talking to her brothers uh, as if they're not even hearing that she's calling them losers. Um, and, and I love that Job kind of says that he's uh, playing the part of a gigolo so that she'll keep the company afloat. <laughs> Um, as though that is what's going on when in reality, you know, it's it's not really, uh, that's not really what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is this is where we find out that Sally Sitwell is avoiding Michael. Uh, this relationship will actually kind of come to an end in the next episode. Uh, though Sally Sitwell is mentioned a lot in this episode, she, she never actually appears. Um, and, you know, Job finds out that Lucille too is becoming more distant from him. Um, and, you know, he, he insists that what he's doing with Lucille 2 is for the good of the family. Um, uh, and I like the exchange where, you know, Lindsay says, Job is, doesn't do anything for family. And Job goes, hey, I'm f***ing Lucille 2. <laughs> oh, I could do something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, but it's, it's just really nice to see kind of like the the twins and uh, and and Job just kind of. Uh, talking business oddly enough very rarely that it happens um and of course um this is where we see george senior um getting himself wedged under the furnace um and of course he howls like a wolf which is another thing that calls back to the previous episode um and when michael goes to rescue him uh, this is when we find out about uncle jack (laughs) and this is such I don't know. <laughs> we said quite a lot about it already, but it's such an odd turn that the episode takes. Uh, you know, like six minutes in, it suddenly becomes all about um, Jack Dorso, who was a, um, you know, a 1940s um, co-star of a radio and then film serial, Red McGibbon and Bullet, Nazi Hunters, <laughs> which is such a, it's such a great kind of, parody of what a lot of radio shows and stuff like that were were about where it was always people who were kind of like detectives on the trail of something that always ended up being nazis also i imagine i've never really heard that many 1940s serials so i can't say but i just love how it gives the impression of that's what the entire of the kind of the early 40s was about was people hunting down nazis i also love Um, that it's like a full name and then bullet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Red McGibbon yeah. and Bullet. Like I love that about it. <laughs> yeah, um, and of of course we see, we see um, you know like the uh, kind of uh, black and white serial style stuff. And um, first of all, we hear it as um, you know like a like it's a radio play with a lot of uh, foley work. So we have we have like um, you know, uh, and I like I like the fact that. Um, 
this weird catchphrase comes up here where where a bullet says shoot me and we hear him <laughs> we hear some glass breaking and I love as well that the, the kind of the tag of the whole thing is Happy Valentine's Day Nazis, <laughs> uh, which, is, <laughs> which is such a perfect like that just strikes me as something that a 1940s serial would be about. And then obviously we see the kind of the downfall of Red McGibbon as um, as he's jailed for communist sympathies. Um, and then, of course, Jack Dorso as Bullet does one solo feature called Ready, aim, marry me, uh, which is of course the title of this episode, and uh, it was a failure. I-, I love that the narrator says the audience was not ready to accept Bullet as a romantic lead, despite his powerful upper body. <laughs> <laughs> also, are we led to believe that I don't know? Like maybe this is me adding to it, but Jack had something to do with Red McGit. Like he gave him up. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's clear. It's clear yeah, that's that, what I thought. Yeah, yeah, it's clear that this is kind of obviously you know a whole play on the the uh, you know like um, you know all the blacklisted mm-hmm. writers and actors from the the mm-hmm. kind of McCarthy witch hunts. Like that is literally what this is. You know, it's obvious that Bullock you know only got to have his own kind of film because Red McGibbon was put into prison. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like the only. In fact, it has to be Jack Dorso that turned him in because. If Red McGibbon was, you know, jailed for communist sympathies and anyone kind of suspected that Jack Dorso, being a close friend of him, was also one, then the only way for him to not go to prison would have been to have been the person that that put him, that you know, that kind of gave Red McGibbon up. Um, So maybe he was also, you know, had communist sympathies and that's how he knew and, you know, maybe he just took his chance. Um but yeah, I but I just still I still love that the upper body strength is the thing that becomes <laughs> the defining trait of Jack Dorso. Obviously, this is all a reference to Jack Lalane. I don't know that Jack Lalane himself was ever um, did anything before he was. No, I think you he know, was like this. I was a fitness dude. Like I just think that was his thing. Yeah. and then he was just like incredibly disturbingly fit up until <laughs> when he died. Like, like. Particularly the upper body, like just, mm. I don't know. I think he just always sold juicers, <laughs> like that. That's what he did. <laughs> and the, of course, the thing is, when this episode went out, um, Jack Lane was still um, mm-hmm. alive. Yeah, I think so. I think he, yeah, I think he yeah. died like in the late aughts. I think. Uh, yes, uh, two thousand eleven is when he died. Yeah, so, so after qu- that, quite a few years after this episode went out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's it's odd that this, then the show turns into a parody of Jack Lane mm-hmm. um, as um, Jack Dorso decides to um, uh, do feats of strength, um, f- and and of course he 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 has five pounds for each year of his life on the on the um, <laughs> the Good Morning Albany show. Um, mm. and, <laughs> and we see that you know he lost the the use of his legs on his seventieth birthday, um, and of course uh, you know he as as he as he holds the uh, the weight, the, it, it clearly kind of puts some some pressure on his body, and his legs go together, and he falls forward um, off the screen, um, just as he just as he falls, just kind of croaking too much. Um, 
which I kind of like. But yeah, so that ends the little diversion into the life of Jack Dawson, <laughs> which is kind of like three minutes of screen time. It's kind of ridiculous uh, that we know so much about this one character and just in this in the space of such a short amount of time. Um, and yet, and then of course, and yet, Dragon remains a mystery. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, of course, at this particular point, you know, Michael actually says. Um, you know, how come we've never called him before? Um, and it's here where George Sr., you know, uh, talks about how, you know, the Blues Company started because of some money from him. Um, and he says, I don't know, see if you can talk your mother into taking another bullet for the Bluth family. It's <laughs> <laughs> so gross. <laughs> Such a disgusting yeah. thing. But it's so, the look, I've, the reason I'm laughing so hard is because I'm thinking of the look on Jeffrey Tambor's face when he says it, <laughs> which is so perfectly suggestive to where, like, I'm communicating this message to my son of exactly <laughs> what I'm saying right now. It's a very good, like, it's the only time he's in this whole episode, but it's a very, very, I think it's a very good moment by him. So Yeah, he, he basically just kind of gets this one explanatory line, and that's the punchline, and that's the end of it. Um, and then, of course, that's the, also the act break before we come back and we're at the party. And, um, you know, the narrator tells us the family gathered at Lucille's to welcome and solicit Uncle Jack. And remember, he wasn't really their uncle. <laughs> Which <laughs> I, I kind of love. Uh, and we get a, a, a weird kind of little thing about um, Buster and Starla, where kind of in the previous episode they got together because Starla is a, a mummy's girl. And obviously Buster is a mummy's boy. And so they kind of uh, went well together. Um, uh, but here, uh, <laughs> uh, Lucille refers to her as a whore. She is not a whore, mother. She happens to be the new secretary of the Bluth Company. And yes, she's more experienced than a normal girl. But sometimes love should be terrifying. And <laughs> <laughs> I love Tony Hale's kind of, at the end of that sentence where he, he says terrifying, just kind of, his voice breaks just the right amount. Uh, and then, of course, we see Buster in Starla's bathroom with a Bowie knife in his mouth. And <laughs> he says that he's going to be right in. And then maybe we can talk about making that love. No one can. No one other than Tony uh-huh. Hale can accurately <laughs> read that line <laughs> in a way that is so funny. Just the way he says it. And, oh. That particular moment and one that comes up a little later between him and Job yeah. are my t- two of my favorite <laughs> oh, moments yeah, of the whole series. For sure. <laughs> and of, of course, this is where Lucille, you know, Lucille was the one who basically didn't want him dating uh, her social rival. And this is where she screams, it's better than you dating Lucille too, that bitch. And of course, this is where she is next door. And obviously, <laughs> Lucille too could hear that. Uh, were she in, which I guess she is not. Uh, and then I like how Buster's like, you know, um, <laughs> Lucille too's not a bee mother. She's kind and caring, and she's certainly less experienced than that whore I'm dating now. <laughs> and I love how he screams whore, and of course, it's just, it's so weird. I don't know. It's just so weird that basically Luc- like Lucille has kind of already infected Buster against mm-hmm. Starla so quickly. Um, you did skip over my favorite part of that exchange, which is when um, Lucille shouts that bitch 
she looks at it and then it cuts to Michael give her a thumbs up for like <laughs> being in the right place this time of like good job mom you you nailed it this time <laughs> yeah yeah that is that is a great little exchange but then of course Michael says I'm wondering if we can keep some of the more piercing profanities down when the 19 year old fitness buff gets here um <laughs> Lucille is kind of making it known that she's kind of willing to... She was willing to call Uncle Jack, but that's all she's going to do. And then, of course, this is when Uncle Jack finally arrives uh, in the episode. Um, and he, he he does by by yelling, somebody order 140 pounds of upper body strength. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course... At this particular point, he doesn't have any lower body strength. And then, of course, this is where we actually get to meet... Um, you know, the unsung hero of the episode, which of course is Dragon, um, you know, mm. uh, played by um, uh, Troy R. Brenner, I believe is his name. He doesn't say a single word in the entire episode. Um, and he's he's mostly a stuntman. Obviously, you know, for this particular role, you don't you don't cast an actor um you know, you cast mm-hmm. you cast a stuntman who can hold Martin short for <laughs> an amount of time. Yeah, this is essentially his only real um, acting role, I guess mm. you might say. But he's he's done he's been a stunt performer in, in like a number of films. Uh, you know, a lot of the um, uh, you know uh, Marvel films. Um, mm. You know, he's he's uh, mm. I, I just, but I just kind of love. Uh, the physicality that he kind of brings because it is such a this this whole relationship between these two characters is so odd um, <laughs> but i i like i like kind of how you get the impression that dragon you know he's i'm gonna guess quite highly paid to do this particular thing um you know particularly as later on in the episode um you know uncle jack screams i won't go wheelchair which is <laughs> Uh, so he, you know, it's obvious to most people that if you don't have your legs, you get yourself a wheelchair. And with this much upper body strength, he would be great, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, moving the wheels. Uh, but he insists on being carried everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this actor has like a very like sweet presence about him. Like, yeah, he seems like a sweet character despite not saying anything, <laughs> yeah. and especially to like have to put up with this insane man who well, has to carry around i like as well the fact that his name is dragon i just love that mm-hmm. i love that it's, mm-hmm. there's no surname there's no, it's just dragon um, no explanation <laughs> of if it's a nickname no. of any kind or yeah absolutely and i love that he gets this this kind of weird thing of being half deaf and um mm-hmm. i love that uncle jack classifies it as a, a stupid stupid hire um, which, of course, as he says that, he gets moved higher by Dragon, and then he has to scream, <laughs> not higher, eye level, eye level. Um, <laughs> which I kind of... And then, of course, when he when he needs to go to Michael, he uh, Uncle Jack yells, swoop me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> knocking shit over everywhere he goes, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I actually love Martin Short's performance in this episode, like, as we said, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of people kind of criticize this episode, um, but I just think he throws himself so wholeheartedly into the insanity of being Uncle Jack that I think um, if there are any faults with the episode, you, you can't really lay them at Martin Short's door because he does exactly what he's asked, which is a kind of absurd parody of Jack LaLanne, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. where he kind of, 
I, I particularly like the line where he says, um, You may be amazed. I, I'm invited into very few personal homes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, well, the, the character is very much like a Martin Short type character, too. Like, you're talking mm. about, like, oh, he fully dove into it. I mean, like, that's what Martin Short does. Like, for better or for worse. But, like, this is a, a time where, like, a, char- a character was written and it is as insane as Martin Short wants to be. So it's <laughs> kind of like they're the same level in terms of as it's written and what he wants to do. And, of course, <laughs> I like that when Uncle Jack says, To the nuts! <laughs> Dragon places him at Jason Bateman's crotch. Um, and then, of course, he just yells, The bridge mix! The bridge mix! Um, and I don't know why, but I just love I just love the word bridge mix in this context. It's mm-hmm. just such a an odd thing. And and of course, he takes him over to the bowl of nuts, and he just holds him over it while he dives his head in and just starts eating them. <laughs> so gross! <laughs> Basically, putting his cheek into the entire thing. Um, and I I don't know. It's just such a, it's such a crazy kind of uh, way to do stuff. Um, and um, of course. When Buster enters, um, in his army uniform, this might be the first episode where we actually get Buster in his army uniform proper, rather than the one that he wore to the funeral, which, you know, had to be a little tight um, to make the jacket fit. Um, And (laughs) I love how Uncle Jack sees Buster being an army man as like, uh, kind of like, almost like an aggressive thing. And of course, you know, he, he, he says he was never in the army. He was he was in the pictures. Um, and that's where he yells, shoot me again. And of course, Dragon throws Uncle Jack on top of Buster, who gets crushed by him. And um, Uncle Jack starts shouting, I pinned the army man, which is just such a kind of... <laughs> and then he takes a moment to bless you for your service yeah. to this country. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, he's still in the army, so... Uh, I don't know. I, it also and it also was the early aughts when we were very much like support the troops at all costs <laughs> in America. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> and then of course, um, you know, when he sees Lindsay, he mistakes her for Lucille. Um, <laughs> and of course, when Lucille says, uh, "No, I'm Lucille," and Uncle Jack sees Lucille, Martin Short does this kind of shriek. You look fabulous. Like obviously lying, and then he goes back to the blonde, back to the blonde, and then obviously he gets turned back to um, Lindsay. And in this episode, there's not very much maybe, unfortunately, because Alia Shawcat's probably one of my favourite actors on the show. Um, but I do like how she goads George Michael here. Um, <laughs> when when he, you know, George Michael makes the mistake of saying that he thinks Uncle Jack is cool, and so maybe says. Well, uh, why don't you go get your kiss from Mr. Cool Half Man? Which is just such a kind of weird thing. And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, when when it does happen, uh, you know, George Michael goes over and um, Uncle Jack starts throwing up. And, uh, Be- and he starts... Because he was having his legs shaken to impress Lindsay. Yes, yeah. <laughs> makes no sense at all. It's very impressive. <laughs> I mean, he's got all that upper body strength and these two little tiny dangling legs. I mean, that's got to impress someone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I do love kind of like um, 
how the first time George Michael approaches, you know, Uncle Jack's just throwing up, and it's like. Mike, George Michael always seems to pick the wrong time to kind of interact with people. Mm-hmm, for sure. And then, of course, um, <laughs> when he does get a towel, Lucille shells, shouts, not the good ones. Um, you know, despite I also this... like that when he throws up, he's like, ignore it. Ignore, ignore it. it, yeah. It's just, it's just something that happens to the body when it's shaking. <laughs> yeah, which, of course, um, you know... A dragon only hears the word shake it and then of course starts shaking him again (laughs) and of course uncle jack has to say don't shake it don't shake it yeah and you know obviously uh this is where um i mean uncle jack uh you know he he, um (laughs) as as george michael keeps asking if he's dying he starts throwing up again um and Lindsay and michael this is where they have this kind of complication um in this plot obviously Uncle Jack is not interested in Lucille. She is not going to be the one um, who, you know, will take a bullet. Um, instead, um, Lindsay uh, thinks that Dragon is cute, uh, which Michael says, the deaf giant who's holding out a fake <laughs> uncle, uh, which is a nice summation of him. Um, and, of course, Lindsay has interpreted Dragon's silence and stares as flirting, um, and she she's deciding that you know she will go on the the, the the spa day with Dragon instead of Tobias. And this is this is after this is after the auction, correct? Yes. This is like yeah, that was the previous episode. The whole, yeah, this is fresh off of the whole TV's Frank Wrench situation yeah. <laughs> where she where where Lindsay wanted him to strip some nuts or something, which um, was <laughs> some attempt at a double entendre that got away from her. Um, yeah, uh, and of course, you know, uh, Michael needs money from Uncle Jack, um, and this is, you know, this is something that will become an issue uh, after the act break, basically. And so, seeing the opportunity with Lindsay, he decides that um, he's going to make her take the bullet, so to speak. This is where Buster goes from the party after being crushed by Uncle Jack, and decides to go and see. Um, Lucille too and of course he finds Job is there um, keeping an eye on her but he's in her robe and slippies um, <laughs> and I like how Job says he's getting into her head uh, which is just kind of so weird um, and he's he's lost her trail and he doesn't have the skills to pick her up and of course this is when Buster says skills and we get a little title card that says four minutes later and Buster <laughs> four a- appears behind Job and he says, these kinds of skills. And of, co- of course... And of course, Job is still waiting in the doorway for four minutes. <laughs> yeah. And of course, uh, Job says, uh, not really. <laughs> he goes, but if you can get me one of those outfits, maybe we can hide in the bushes or something and spy on them. <laughs> so I, I like that, you know, Buster goes to trouble of demonstrating his army skills. And Joe just wants him to get him a uniform. <laughs> uh, and we do actually get the reappearance of George Sr., but only for a couple of lines. As Michael talks about uh, Uncle Jack and um, George Sr. says, so you're pimping out your sister. And Michael goes, you were pimping out my mother. And George Senior goes, yeah, because she was sleeping with my brother. He goes, but your sister. And of course, Michael says, everyone's going to be fine. No one's going to get hurt. Uh, which, you know, obviously is a setup for the fact that, you know, a lot of people are going to get hurt. Um, and this is where we get my favorite ever maybe exchange 
uh, with Michael, where where she says, uh, "My dad wanted me to thank you for the romantic getaway." Don't tell me what that means. And of course, Michael right. asks, "Where is your dad?" And she she says, "He left, dressed all westerny." You could leave me out of that part too. <laughs> and then Michael goes, "Just screwed my brother-in-law." And maybe buttons the scene with, "Well, I'm all grown up now." <laughs> oh, that's the best. And I don't think there's any more maybe in the episode, but I just I just love that that kind of I love how maybe is kind of the opposite of Tobias in that she isn't oblivious and she doesn't see double entendres. But <laughs> you know, when people are saying stuff that's kind of, you know, has metaphor in it, she takes it as literal and, you know, <laughs> she and that's why she's kind of so um, you know, kind of confused by what on earth this message is about. Uh, <laughs> Aaliyah Shawcat is really good at um, making what whatever little thing that she's given work. Like she's not yeah. often given like a lot of focus, um, but she's always a highlight. Right up until like the fourth season, like I yeah. think like her her contribution to the fourth season like as a like the as a focus character i think is one of the things that regardless of what people think about the fourth season everyone's like that is uniformly kind of a a regarded part of the fourth season and she's just really good and i wish there was more i like you like you said like i wish there was more of her kind of all the time actually yeah um yeah but i think that's part of it so i think i, I will say i think her her kind of episode i think she only gets one solo episode in season four and i think mm-hmm. it's probably one of the best of the season yeah um, that's kind of what i was getting at yeah. yeah um and of course this is where um <laughs> michael goes to find tobias at the day spa and we now get into kind of like six or seven minutes of just everybody being at the day spa um and you know i, I like how tobias explains what's going to happen where he says this is jeff he does all the horsework here you'll meet him again at the end Plus, he gets your juice. Not your first juice, but the one you get at the spa. And um, <laughs> and the fact that Michael ha- like has to do what Tobias thought he was going to do anyway and go on the whole um, package with him to try and keep him away from Lindsay uh, and Uncle Jack. Uh, and, of course, you know, this is where Michael <laughs> decides that, um, you know, to, t- to tell him that the, the lovely lady is going to be a bit late. Um, so she said, go in ahead and get started without her. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, he he, he, he gets on. Um, he was he's he's asking for a, his own separate horse. And of course, the wrangler explains it's going to take a few minutes to tack another horse. Uh, so Michael decides to get on the same horse as Tobias. Uh, and this is, of course, where Tobias says, well, you certainly didn't help my reputation as a ladies man with Jeff. <laughs> Which... <laughs> <laughs> and then of course he says but we'll clear that all up in the spa when I get my facial um, <laughs> which is a particularly dirty line uh, I guess I mean maybe I'm just reading something into that um, oh no you're no. not <laughs> it, is a, it is a filthy line uh, and of course Michael asks if he ever got the tape recorder um, and I love the kind of visual of Tobias kind of reaching because Michael is obviously sitting behind Tobias and he's reaching behind Michael to hit the horse on the on the side. And he's kind of leaning back a little bit and pressing into him. And it's just kind of it's kind of weird. Um, and then, of course, Lucille, too, and Stan Sitwell uh, show up. Um, you know, Lucille, too, was obviously bid on 
um, by Job. Um, so I'm guessing that is how she's got her hands on this particular romantic getaway. Uh, and then, of course, um, Uncle Jack is strapped to uh, strapped to a horse, and his boots fall off. Um, and it's it's just kind of it's just kind of weird. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, as the horse starts moving, he starts kind of throwing up again. Um, and we see <laughs> Tobias and Michael like in the spa, and of course, Tobias offers some body chocolate to Michael. Um, and then the narrator tells us the jets proved too powerful for Uncle Jack's tiny legs, um, mm-hmm. and that the the spa portion proved a challenge to Stan Sitwell and Lucille too. And of course, uh, once again, Stan seems to indulge in activities that that remove the wigs and eyebrows and various other things that he sticks mm-hmm. to his head. This is a another interesting thing. Just to dial back a second, is when they mention that Stan and Lucille too are there. Um, the narrator goes to like refer to something he said earlier, where he's like, he did look a little bit like Edgar Winter, and then for some reason they chose that moment to show a picture of Edgar Winter after they had already made the joke like <laughs> yeah. twenty minutes earlier. And if you're someone like me, you're like, I don't know who the hell Edgar Winter is. <laughs> like when I was watching this as a teenager, and then I was like, oh okay, I, that's kind of funny, I guess. <laughs> like it was a weird thing to like come back to it's weird yeah i watched this as a teenager too but i knew what edgar winter looked like because of a simpsons halloween episode that ah, referenced there you go yeah yeah sure <laughs> i mean he just basically looks like um egg begley jr with a, a long wig um <laughs> <laughs> so kind of although uh, you know he he has a um yeah edgar winter kind of has like a, a goatee so um and of course, um, you know, Michael and Tobias uh, end up. Uh, in fact, I haven't mentioned this, but Buster and Job are following Lucille too, and Stan Sitwell, who are obviously following behind Uncle Jack and Lindsay, who are following on from Michael and Tobias. So it's just this one long sequence of each set of people reaching different parts of the uh, the resort. And but and but and Buster is. Uh... Solid snake uh, incapacitating people along the way, <laughs> yeah. like knocking them out and mm. as they go. <laughs> uh, of course, this is where Michael explains that uh, he says, "I'm afraid your wife might actually not end up here." Um, and Tobias asks, "Do you do you have any idea how often you use the word afraid?" And of course, Michael says, uh, "I know I use it in the jacuzzi." And of course, Tobias says. Uh, I apologize for that. I thought it was a pool toy. Um, so we are just left to <laughs> imagine what on earth happened in the jacuzzi. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, um, Tobias kind of tells him that he has kind of uh, imaginary problems about, like, the merger. And he's afraid to ask Sally Sitwell out. Um, and, uh, you know, basically kind of accusing him of doing things where... You know, Michael. <laughs> you know, he does. He does have to be worried for the company because Lucille too has bought a lot of stock, and Job is currently uh, endangering that stock. Um, you know, and so uh, I think it's funny that kind of that um, you know that Tobias is trying to say to him, "Oh, you need to stop worrying about stuff." When these are legitimate concerns that Michael actually has, uh, whereas Tobias is, you know. Uh, not even an actor or a doctor anymore. He's just 
someone who sits around watching entertainment television. Um, so he has nothing to really worry about. Um, and of course, we see we see that um, you know Job, it, it, for some reason, it, it, it's kind of gasping at every single time he sees different people. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of really weird <laughs> uh, i like that joke though and i like i think will Arnett delivers it well the like the like saying the person's name two different ways <laughs> like back to back yeah when it's he's really doing great. this michael michael and then when he's good Lindsay, yeah. Lindsay, it's just all I, oh, it's I do i do like that he like also went through the trouble to like dramatically jump into every tent shot of <laughs> lucille <laughs> yeah um, and then, of course, we get to the end where everything. Um, I mean, it's revealed on the um, on the commentary that basically they sort of had this ending, but they were missing bits and pieces of it. So a lot of the stuff that happens inside these kind of massage tents at the end, <laughs> they shot they shot on the parking lot outside their their like writers bungalows, uh, like in the afternoon one day, just to kind of get some pickups between some of the characters. Um, so, like, a lot of the shots that are out towards the beach, those were the original shots, and then the shots that are in towards the tent, those were the stuff that they shot on the parking lot, which I think is quite funny. Um, but, yeah, uh, and, of course, you know, uh, Lucille, too, um, you know, figures out that... Well, she finds out, basically, that she's being followed by, um, you know, Michael and also Job and Buster and basically everyone kind of ends up in, in a few tents next to each other. Um, and, um, you know, Tobias finds out that Lindsay is there and she says with two, and he says with two men and Buster goes sort of one and a half, which I think is <laughs> kind of a, 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 obviously I can understand why he'd want to take that shot at uncle Jack. Tobias goes looking for Lindsay and he, he finds, um, Stan Sitwell and he says, uh, miss, to uh, to stand sit well, Joe basically um, you know uh, he gets into a fight with Stan Sitwell and says she's my girlfriend and then he says take him down Buster and this is where Buster goes your girlfriend that's why you were in her robe and slippies you weren't trying to get into her head you were trying to get into her robe and slippies <laughs> like he gasps when he almost catches himself saying the word genitals. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 it, again. Tony Hale is brilliant <laughs> playing a character like this. It's so good. And then, of course, you know, <laughs> Tobias finds out that Lindsay has chosen, you know, um, Dragon, um, to which Uncle Jack says she's not with him. She's with the bullet, uh, which I I find quite funny because Tobias is like, oh, thank God, like he would be concerned <laughs> if it was Dragon, but because it's. Uncle Jack, he's not that concerned. And, of course, Uncle Jack, <laughs> once again, screams, shoot me, and gets thrown onto Tobias. Um, mm-hmm. And this is where Lucille, too, gets very kind of, like, angry that basically everyone's been trying to follow her around while she's just been trying to have this romantic getaway for, you know, just to get away from the craziness of the blues for one day. Um, and, you know, she reveals that she wasn't trying to sell the company, but now she is. Um, and she says, the hell with all of you. Uh, and then, of course, this is where Stan Sitwell gets his own Tobias-like line in, where he says, I'm going to try and lowball her. Uh, <laughs> which I feel that has to be a double entendre in this episode. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, basically kind of everyone leaves, 
and we end up with a situation, you know, Job leaves as well, and we end up with a situation where, you know, Michael apologizes to, to Lindsay, um, who, you know, he says wasn't on a dragon with, wasn't on a date with a dragon, but was on a date with Uncle Jack. And Lindsay says, I know that, Michael. It was pretty obvious when Dragon kept swooping Uncle Jack in for a kiss. Um, and, you know, this is where, uh, you know, she she's touched by the fact that Tobias tried to fight for her. And, of course, Tobias kind of on the ground says, I had no idea a 90-year-old man could cave in my chest cavity like that. <laughs> I I do think the end of this episode also kind of once again makes a case for kind of Lindsay as like this strange, bizarre, emotional center to the family, like in a weird way. Like yeah. I think she is I the more I watch it, the more I really love the Lindsay character because she is has like the bizarre kind of like heightened oblivious sense of reality that the rest of the family has like in her own way where she's obsessed with being a socialite and um kind of like this faux liberalism uh that she like likes to employ but then she also like does seem to have like genuine feelings and thoughts and things that she wants for her marriage and things she wants for her family and her relationship with michael and it's and the, the fact that she's like yeah she's like in her own world, but she's not so stupid that she wouldn't be able to figure out what was going on with her date with Uncle Jack yeah. as well. And also, of course, she has Lucille constantly taking shots at her. Like, yeah. whilst whilst George Sr. can be cruel to his sons, he at least is trying to encourage them, and he at least like lets them be part of the business. Uh, whereas Lucille is nothing but terrible to Lindsay almost all the time and without any provocation. Um, so it's almost like Lindsay has a lot more to overcome than either of the, the Bluth boys um, that aren't uh, Byron Bluth. Um, and of course, at the end here, we get what is revealed in the commentary to be an improvised line where Uncle Jack is lying on the sand and he says, I love taking a guy down. I think I snapped one of his ribs. Nope, it's my leg. Bet that would hurt. And apparently that was all that's all an improv line uh, by Martin Short that allowed them to kind of come back and shoot the episode to finish a bit more coherently because otherwise they kind of had no real end. Um once once um once Lucille 2 exits, basically kind of like all of that storyline finishes very quickly. Um and obviously Dragon has carried Tobias out with Lindsay following behind. Um, and, you know, uh, Michael says that, you know, he, he they actually need him to help out because obviously, you know, Lucille 2's intentions weren't bad. They didn't really need Uncle Jack's money. Uh, they've just kind of been making this up in their heads a little bit that she would be doing something bad with the company. Um, and, you know, they Uncle Jack says that he'll make a deal. You carry me, I'll carry you. And, of course, Michael you know, lifts Uncle Jack up. Um, <laughs> like, how um, how the scene finishes with Uncle Jack saying that they should get to the hospital. This duct tape is the only thing that's keeping the ankle on, which is a horrific image, basically, <laughs> <laughs> that he paints 
And then, of course, um, as Michael takes him out of the tent, you hear Uncle Jack say, I think you're right inside me now. <laughs> so and, and you see Jason Bateman break a little yeah. bit at that. Because I yeah. thought that was the improvised line that they were talking about in the commentary. No, they, they, say, the, they say earlier in the commentary that the, the line where he's on the floor, that was improvised. Um, but basically, mm. I think a lot of Martin Short's stuff, kind of once he was in character, he was kind of improving a lot of stuff. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if mm. that last line was improvised as well. But I think he just kind of did that as like his own stupid kind of like button to the scene. And I don't think he expected them to ever use it. And clearly he was just trying to do it to make Jason Bateman laugh, which you can see uh, it clearly had that effect. <laughs> uh, but I guess if you were carrying Martin Short in your arms and he said, I think you're inside me now, you then I guess you would laugh too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and uh, of course on the next episode of Arrested Development, uh, Uncle Jack buys the company and says he's going to put Lindsay in charge. Um we will never hear from Uncle Jack ever again after this episode, not even in season four. Um, and Lindsay never is president of the company. So so I don't know what happened there, but, you know. So I guess they just wanted to do it to do the laugh thing. Yeah. To keep the laugh thing going. Yes, which is, um, that that is actually ADR of David Cross um, from an earlier episode. They re- <laughs> They reveal in the commentary. Um, but yeah, and then of course we get the big set piece to finish off all the stuff with Tobias, where he has a tape recorder, and he plays back the words, Even if it means me taking a chubby, I will suck it up. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, I've been in the film business for a while, but I just can't seem to get one in the can. Out of context. I wouldn't mind kissing that man between the cheeks, so to speak. And he realizes there is something distinct about the way he speaks. Tobias. You blow hard. Um, that's, that's a lot of double entendres in the space of like 60 seconds, 30 seconds. It's just so quick. Um, and that's where the episode ends. Oh, God. So is there anything else that needs to be said about uh, Ready, Aim, Marry Me? Uh, it might be the most bizarre half hour of television. <laughs> it's so strange. Uh, but I love it. I like, I like as well that... Um, the the kind of the the sidekick being called bullet in the next few episodes mm. that's something that michael refers to george michael as where he says come on bullet uh, and it's just, mm. it's like a it's a weird little tiny callback that they don't really go you know they don't really use it that much but there's a couple of episodes i think there's another episode in season 3 where you know someone refers to you know someone as bullet um and i just kind of i always like when the show makes its own kind of um reality in this way um, and they do it later on where, you know, they'll, 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 I mean, I think they've said it in this season where they're like, say, no, it's the next season where they say, save it for the stand, Tom Jane, as if Tom Jane is like a high quality actor, um, you know, like <laughs> the highest yeah. quality actor. <laughs> and, and of course, you know, when someone gets judgy, they say, they say, okay, judge Reinhold. Um, so I just kind of love how the show starts to build its own, like kind of references like this. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, so Brian, anything else do you think about this episode? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered it. It's, <laughs> it's so insane, and it's so much more broad than the rest of the show. But I still love it. But I understand that that's purely personal and kind of sentimental. The the like the vote for it isn't you know it's not like it's getting like five out of ten on IMDb. Like 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's kind of it's on the level of the episodes around it. So uh, broad isn't necessarily bad either. I mean, there's no. a moment there's a moment later on in the season two with Tobias as Mrs. Featherbottom, which is <laughs> incredibly broad and <laughs> probably the time I laughed the hardest at the entire show. So um, just like an amazing physical comedy <laughs> piece, like so I I I think that. It does stick out, like, in terms of being this weird thing, but like uh, Darren mentioned at the top, like, it does have, like, it does fit into the overall plot, even in a way that, like, Shock and Awe didn't in uh, season one. I think that episode is more standalone than this one is with Heather Graham in it. Like, I think that one is more... Yeah, kind of its own contained thing than this one is. So yeah, and that did kind of, yeah. that did kind of come after like you know all the major storylines with um, you know Marta had kind of mm-hmm. finished. So that was kind of more mm-hmm. obvious that it was you know the end of something. But the fact that you know Job is still with Lucille too in this episode, it just although it's it is kind of like an episode by itself. It doesn't it doesn't feel as kind of odd to me simply because there's a lot of kind of continuing stuff going on in it. Um. But yeah, so, you know, I really enjoy it anyway. Um, anyway, on the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, we're going to be covering episode 11, which is the return of Maggie Liza as we go out on a limb. Um, <laughs> and, and the return of uh, a couple of cops as well from, uh, from late in season one as well. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of returning characters in the next couple of episodes. Um, so I hope you will join me for that. Um, otherwise, I think we'll go to plugs, and I'm going to start with Brian first. Zach Powers and I co-host the Revisionists podcast, where we take a topic from history. One host presents the true story, another host comes up with an alternate, and the winner becomes the truth uh, going forward. Um, so we that comes out fortnightly, so check it out, revisionistpodcast.com, or on iTunes, or wherever you download podcasts. And do you have a Twitter? Uh, yes, Twitter is at RevisionPod, and my personal Twitter is at Apparently Brian. Um, yeah, uh, I host a podcast called Explain Yourself uh, with my friend Louis Nelson. Uh, we What we do is we kind of take unpopular opinions about pop culture. So if one of us likes something that most people don't like, uh, so a lot of good synergy here. <laughs> um, and uh, Or... If someone hates something that most people do like, um, and we just kind of like one of us takes one position and one of us takes the other one and we kind of talk about it. So previous episodes have had me uh, committing uh, film buff blasphemy and, and mentioning that I don't like There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had uh, Louie talk about how he doesn't like Harry Potter because he's a monster. Um, <laughs> and... Um, trust me, if he was doing this, he would call me worse. So, um, yeah, uh, that comes out biweekly. Uh, we don't have a Twitter account for it. Um, but we do have a Facebook page. It's the quote unquote unofficial, uh, explain yourself fan page. Someone made it for us and then retroactively made us administrators because we're really bad at this, <laughs> uh, podcasting thing. So, um but yeah you should take a listen to it most people listen to it tend to like it um and personally for me it's been a great experience because um when we did the episode about how i don't like radiohead i realized that i was dumb and (laughs) i like radiohead now so every now and then that happens where a great awakening occurs so okay well thanks to both of you for joining me today thank you for having me yeah thanks for having us this is great and otherwise goodbye (laughs)